With Nebraska Roots, the Ministry of Imana Kids is called to care for the orphans in war-torn Rwanda in Central Africa. Now, seeing that Imana Kids have their basic needs met like food, water, shelter, and love, the ministry as well provides education for those orphan children. Now, Kara Higgins is the co-founder and director of Imana Kids, and this morning she is joining us to connect us to the work of God through Imana Kids. It's great to be here. It's been a long time. Kara, the uh, My Bridge Radio family has grown since the last time that we talked, so let's give them an overview of Amana Kids, the ministry that you've started that we talked about last time that we're going to get an update on today. Sure. So Imana means of God in Kenya, Rwanda, the native language in Rwanda, which is a little landlocked country in East Africa. And Imana Kids is a nonprofit education and actually trauma-informed focus program that my husband and I launched in 2013, sort of as a response to the adoption of two of our kids. In that season between 2009 and 2013, it was a pretty dark kind of a valley that we were in and learning how to parent kids who have had a lot of adverse events in their lives, a lot of trauma in their lives. The only reason we survived those years was because we knew like God is always glorified in the end. Like we knew like there is purpose in suffering. And so um, affording the opportunity to go back to Rwanda seemed like God was up to something. And so that was an easy, it was an easy yes for us. We were hesitant about what it Um, what the volunteering would look like. Within a few moments of being there, it was real clear to me that there was something was going on. Like I was in the presence of the Holy Spirit and we were just coming face to face with the realities of, you know, millions of kids in the world. They, they were just living moment to moment, honestly, and they were just more concerned about when they were going to eat and where they were going to lay their head at night. They weren't even like, it's a privilege to be able to dream, right? It's a privilege to be able to, to think about growing up. And that really like burdened us. And so we came back to the States and we Googled, honestly, we Googled how to start a nonprofit and we just recruited some other teachers and other healthcare workers to be on our initial board of directors. And we used legal zoom to help us come up with all of the laws, the bylaws and to help us with the application process. And we became legitimate. And within the first year, we had 97 of those kids sponsored with American families, um, which meant that they were paying for their school fees, their medical needs. And we were able to uh, hire a director in Rwanda and that would pay for his salary. So we felt like, well, I guess this is the direction God wants us to go. That was almost 10 years ago. And so we've evolved a lot and we've grown a lot since then. Kara, what in your faith journey, your relationship with Jesus made you think this is something that uh, Jesus might want to do? It has always stood out to me that God gives you what you need in the season that you need it. uh, And that he takes the very ordinary to do things like all the great characters of the Bible, they were shepherds, they were seamstresses, they were carpenters, they were just like ordinary, they were orphans. There's so many orphans in the Bible um, that God used for a greater purpose. And I guess um, we just knew, like, like I said, we always had hope that the suffering we've experienced with our own children in our own house was going to someday be for something bigger. Um, and uh, I guess I we don't I never had any fear like mm. because of my relationship with Jesus because I felt him with me in in hard times I knew I wasn't alone and I knew that um, we were 
trying to advance God's kingdom. That's always what we're trying to do is advance God's kingdom. And we were prayerful about it. And it's, we could feel the Holy Spirit. We could feel it moving. And that was such uh, an encounter, like nothing I'd, we'd ever experienced that it would have been like, uh, it would have been wrong for us not to act. It would have been like disobedience. Kara, again, you and your husband step out in faith and obedience, as we talked to her a little bit ago, to start this ministry of Amana Kid. Tell us about some of the miracles that you've seen along the way. One amazing thing that happened was that government office that oversaw our son's adoptions in 2008 and 2009, that office had closed when they closed adoptions. But the woman that was in charge of it had moved in her position to oversee family and gender affairs department in the government. And she she remembered me and my husband by name, basically because of our emails. Uh, and so that was like one of our first inklings that like this was really like God was writing this story, not us, because she trusted us. Shortly after that, kids started sharing with me um, that they were being trafficked out of the orphanage. Every day I would be emailing, I would be calling, Mm -hmm. I would be partnering with, I was trying to work with the International Justice Mission to get those kids out of there. Because of the laws uh, and regulations, we weren't getting anywhere. Eight months of spinning wheels, we were back in country. And at that time, um, the abusers and the men that were trafficking these kids, we were having to work with them face to face every day. And they knew that we knew. And it was super tense. It was honestly pretty scary. The very last day to return to the States, we were coming down the mountain. My husband said, Kara, stop what you're doing. Stop. And he used a voice with me he'd never used before. It was, And I turned around and this slum mountainside was lined with BMWs. And all these officials in very, very nice clothing and suits were waiting at the bottom of the mountain. And the woman said, are you Kara H. Midwife? I just got your email today about these children. I had been emailing this person since January, almost every day. Wow. And she received my email on the last day I was in country. And while we were in country was even more impactful because with us, we had a list of every single child that was in that place. No child could be sent somewhere and not accounted for. That's God's timing. And that was a turning point because then the government shut that place down. I love to tell that story because it's like a movie. (laughs) And now those kids are all... They're all in school or they're graduated from school. They're um, they're thriving. They're safe. So, Kara, it's been 10 years since you launched Amana Kids <laughs> by faith with your husband, not knowing what you were doing, Googling <laughs> your questions on how to start the ministry. Give us a picture of what Amana Kids looks like in uh, 2023. We purchased land in an area Mm. that was especially hit hard by the genocide. So at the time we purchased it, it was still pretty cheap. It was seen as kind of um, a pretty hopeless place. Mm -hmm. And we started moving kids into basically an abandoned uh, strip mall and using that little strip mall for classrooms until we had the funds to start building. And in this past September of 2022, we opened our first eight classrooms of our own school. Mm. And this school is phase one of Hope Village. And Hope Village is a place 
where our students can go and the staff, the teachers, the administrators and the foster families that the kids are staying with are all trained in trauma informed care. They all have had a lot of background preparation and ongoing education to be able to see the behaviors of these kids that have been really hurt and abused and neglected to seeing those behavior that the communication behind that behavior. And so um, that makes healing happen because they're being loved in ways that are not typical in the classroom or in foster homes. And so we have those eight classrooms and those kids that are in foster families in the community around us. Uh, we just celebrated our 10-year gala and we're able to raise money for Phase 2, which is a clinic that will serve as primary care, preventative care, and then actually dental services for our kids and our community, our surrounding community. And we are sending three teams a year right now that can provide services to our kids and our families and our staff that we cannot hire a Rwandan at this time to do. Um, so that that's doing missions a little bit differently. We want to be able to support the local economy. So we're never going to be sending Americans to like dig a well hmm. or paint a school. We're going to be sending Americans that can uh, listen to kids, that can provide play because orphan kids don't get to play or just to, to do camps with our kids. So we it looks a little bit different. Kira, who would be kind of the poster child, practically and also spiritually, as far as the real full-bodied yeah. impact of one of those kids, especially their early days and where they are now? So we have a young man by the name of Isaac, and Isaac is getting ready to graduate from Iowa Western Community College here in Council Bluff. Mm -hmm. Then we're hopeful and prayerful that he'll be transferring to UNO for two more years. Initially, when we met at Isaac, he stood out because he was doing everything he could to stay in school, like in a public school that was not not great in Rwanda. And he was one of he was one of our very first kids to get sponsored. And with our sponsors, they're able to communicate directly with our kids. So he was getting uh, letters and photos and actually able to direct message online when he was able to with his sponsors. He was able to start seeing himself like as worthy of being loved. He was raised in a Muslim family, but he became a Christian. Wow. The trans transformation from being a kid who was just surviving and pretty like serious and looking pretty like checked out most of the time to thriving, joyful leader. Uh, he graduated in Rwanda, top of his class. So he got his visa. He came to Iowa Western in his first year. He actually lived with his sponsor family. Wow. In their, in their home, and they don't have any um, biological kids. Isaac is their son. And so then he did great. Uh, he got an academic scholarship at Iowa Western. And this year, he's been living in the dorms, which is a real funny story. Every, every time I talk to him, he's got a funny um, perspective on dorm life as a, as a Rwandan former street kid. And he just recently actually spoke at our gala. And seeing him on that stage, like, eloquent, articulate, joyful. That, that's what God can do. Kira, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, how God's used this journey to grow you. How have you grown in your faith, in your relationship with Jesus through your serving? Before we started Amana Kids, I think I, without realizing it, I put God in a box. I put Jesus in a box. I didn't actually 
in my core believe that the impossible is possible. I mean, I would have said that. I would have given you the scriptures about it, but I don't think I actually believed it until I started seeing it. Um, And I also don't know that I knew the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit the way I do now. And one beautiful thing about when you take out a lot of the Western world influences, you just see God in whole different ways. You see spiritual warfare in different ways. I also don't think I knew spiritual warfare. Um, I'm not sure I really believe that that was a thing. Um, And we've encountered a lot of that in the last 10 years. And being able to recognize that in spiritual warfare in East Africa may look more Old Testament biblical, but it's just as present in America. It just looks like technology and the newest tennis shoes and whatever it is that separates us from God being our um, our number one in our hearts. And so I, I guess I just like it's more intimate. It's more real um, and deeper um, spiritual understanding of how big God actually is. Like it's all real. <laughs> it's real. Kara, what would you say is your greatest need right now as a ministry? Well, it's not very exciting. It's always finances. Mm -hmm. What's really a beautiful piece of Amana Kids is that it's a whole bunch of people with a little bit and we come together and it becomes a big thing. And so we don't have wealthy donors. We have teachers and social workers and postal workers. We don't have any big donors. We have a lot of little donors. And but if you are a faith-based ministry, that automatically excludes you from a lot of grants that are out there. A lot of the big grants, a lot of big donors, they won't give to uh, faith-based ministries. You know, that hasn't held us back. We're still here 10 years later, but it does sometimes slow us down because it takes us a lot longer to raise the funds that we need for the various programs. And so it's not exciting, but we always need finances. Our Hope Village is a real slow process, but we do have eight classrooms and we do have a good chunk of the funding for our health clinic that's up next. And then we always need more sponsors because there's always going to be more street kids. When we see a kid and our staff and our students vet a child that they know is a street kid, we get them into school, we get them off the streets, whether we have a sponsor or not. But then that does drain finances from other programs within our ministry when we have to do that. So we, of course, always need more sponsors. And we usually give them a warning, like once you're in, you need to know that you're all in. Like once you're part of the Monikids family, like you're not going to be able to walk away. Like you're just you're in. So Kara, 10 years in, you've seen God do a lot in the ministry of Amana Kids. It's been awesome to hear about uh, so much of it again this morning. So let's look ahead a little bit. As you look into the future, what do you see for Amana Kids and for your ministry? As an organization, as a family, my own personal family, we um, 100%, it's a hill we'll die on that kids who have experienced trauma need to be loved differently. We are committed to bringing, we use the model of care called TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Interventions. We really believe that if more schools and more programs that work with children could take the training and staff, parents, caregivers could have this kind of model of care in their tool chest, that more healing could happen. And I personally am getting some opportunities to do some training with some different schools in Rwanda to be able to work with the the staff in a few other schools that are not associated with Amana Kids. That would be our dream is that every school and every 
every person that works with a child could see those kids' behaviors as communications and not that they're a bad kid, not that they're a difficult child, but that they're having a hard time. And for us, we, we'll do everything we can to help the rest of the world see, see these kids as image bearers because um, that's where we've seen the most transformation happen with all of the kids in our program. Our kids are thriving. Our kids are some of the top students in the country. They're leaders in the classroom. They're leaders in their communities in Rwanda. And it's because they're healing from the inside out. We're not just putting a Band-Aid on their behaviors. We're not just conditioning them to behave for a temporary moment. We're bringing about um, true transformation. And that's through God. And it's through seeing them like the way Jesus would see them. And not a punishment mindset, but in a loving mindset. Well, Kara, it is so obvious that God drew you to these children in Rwanda. We are so thankful for what Amana Kids is doing there in Africa. And we're really grateful that you spent the morning with us, connecting us to the work of God through your ministry. Thank you for reaching out and checking in on us. We're excited um, to be doing what God called us to do.